0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Jenny. And we're talking recent arrivals and new releases, I guess. That's
1: right. And it's just the two of us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is very strange. Is strange. <laughs> um... Space and military sci-fi and aliens. Yeah,
1: it's just my little categorizing game again. Um, I have one book in this category I want to talk about, and it is called Humans by Matt. Hague, I guess, read by yeah. Mark Meadows. Um, this is one of the titles from Simon & Schuster, but actually, I first saw it in Publishers Weekly. I, um, since I'm a librarian, I regularly go through Publishers Weekly and just kind of scan for things that have the starred reviews and everything, and this was one of them, so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, let's see. There's a little quote that starts the summary. I know that some of you reading this are convinced humans are amiss, but I am here to state that they do actually exist. For those that don't know, a human is a real bipedal life form of mid-range intelligence living a largely diluted existence on a small waterlogged planet in a very lonely corner of the universe. So, you know, it's basically about humans from the perspective of an alien.
0: It's kind of like um, Douglas Adams, uh, you know, <laughs> obscure, mostly harmless. Um, you read Douglas Adams, right?
1: I've read maybe the first two of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like that. Um, the author of The Radleys, is this a, is that a, do you know about that book? I don't Uh, know what that is. I, I vaguely remember hearing something about or reading something about that being a book about the Boo Radley family. Hmm. Which I think would be an interesting book because that character is pretty interesting. Yeah. In to *Killing the Mockingbird*. Um. Actually, I was uh, I was reading at the library yesterday. Uh, this big *Futurama* *Simpsons* crossover book. Uh, it's a comic book. Um, like a graphic novel, hardcover with uh, a whole bunch of comics that where the Futurama and Simpsons get crossed over, but they don't just get crossed over with each other. They also cross over with almost everything. Um, so there's lots of crossovers with Marvel universe characters and DC characters and, uh, just regular book characters. So there's like Captain Ahab and, uh, I don't know a Rimmer from, from, uh, the BBC, <laughs> you know, like just tons of different things. And one of them was uh, uh, one of them was from To Kill a Mockingbird, the father. What, what was the father's name? I don't know. Att- Atticus, Atticus Finch, which now that I think about it, his last name is a bird name.
1: Yeah. Um, Hmm. Okay, but just to be clear, like, the Radleys from Matt Haig is nothing to do with Boo Rod- Oh, well, <laughs>
0: damn, somebody should write that book. Yeah, maybe you should book write that.
1: Thing? Well, the, the Radleys by Matt Haig is actually about a secret vampire family that lives in an English neighborhood,
0: so. <laughs> he's got to have gotten a name from, from that, though, don't you think? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe
1: not. If he's English, I don't know. Is that book so much on your radar if you're in England?
0: I have no idea. It, it seems to be pretty well known in North America, but yeah, it might not be you know assigned reading in yeah. in the A. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, um, uh, it's only eight eight hours yeah. from science Schuster, a mainstream you know publisher. It's probably a pretty good book. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. You're gonna do the review on that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, okay. I snap that one up.
0: So that'll be done like by the time the show comes over.
1: Right? <laughs> well, this one they have to email to me, so I haven't gotten it yet.
0: <laughs> I was, I was thinking about the way, uh, the way, uh, we, in the chat we do, you know, the Skype chat. Yeah. That goes all week or whatever. Mm. I was thinking how we're, we're just a whole bunch of stereotypes. Like Jenny reads books fast and Jesse doesn't read long books. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like just a Big pile of stereotypes. Um, But it's a sort of a running joke or jokes, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, Space magic. You've also put this under short stories because it's a short story collection.
1: Yeah. And it just happened to be about science fiction stories. So Mm -hmm. um, we actually got this one from an email, right? Um,
0: Right. David D. Levine, Mm -hmm. um, who got famous uh, for a short story he won the Hugo for. Um, I know he won the Hugo for it because I was there when he won the Hugo. Uh, it was <laughs> a very good story. It was actually, I think, it premiered. Um, maybe it didn't premiere, but it was definitely um, got attention from being on Escape Pod, uh, and that story was. Is that the
1: correct pronunciation?
0: I believe so. I couldn't tell. It's a really good story. It's 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 well written and it's interesting it's real science fiction it's got aliens in it and uh, so let's let's read the description here it's pretty short the Endeavor Award winning collection puts together 15 critically acclaimed science fiction and fantasy stories that take readers from the Technicolor cartoon realm of ancient China that never was and from an America gone wrong to the very ends of the universe including Hugo Award winning the Writers of the Future winner Rewind nucleon the tale of the golden eagle and many other highly praised stories space magic shows david d levine's talents not only as a gifted writer but as a powerful storyteller whose work explores the research oh sorry not researches reaches of space as well as the depths of the human heart and narrator is the author
1: interesting so this isn't one of those instances of an anthology these are actually all his stories
0: yeah it's a collection okay yeah, it, in the olden days, paper books would come out that were collections of short stories by one author. Hmm. I I think it's relatively rare these days, unless your name is Stephen King or or you know George R R Martin or something like that. It, it seems pretty unusual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But this is uh, did he release this himself or because it's published your Bookview Cafe and I'm not familiar with that. But I, I think he
1: not, might have. But it's going to be an audible. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it already is available in Audible, just at the end of June. Um, one of the reviews says that their favorite story is Charlie the Purple Giraffe was acting strangely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which he didn't want to be purple anymore.
1: (laughs) They claim it's about existentialism and that the stories are worth a read by quantum physics and astrophysics majors. That makes me pretty interested in it, actually.
0: Apparently, the word giraffe comes from Arabic. Really? I guess that makes sense, right? I just read that on Twitter this morning, so <laughs> must be true. <laughs> <laughs> Everything on the Internet is true. <laughs> Maybe. It, it was Twitter, so, you know, it's got a, a little more authority. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else we've got on here. We have got a lot of series books, which we're going to skip over until the end, where you're going to do a massive quick read through, like using your 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 stereotypical powers. <laughs> uh. And now we're in the classics, epic, traditional fantasy, swords, magic, etc. Exclamation point section.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good category.
0: It's pretty broad, but I, I, you know, I I know exactly what is in this section. Mm-hmm. This is the stuff. Uh, with the unicorns that live in meadows, not in, like, brothels.
1: Right. And the unicorns are probably unclothed versus wearing leather right. jacket and riding a motorcycle. Right. With a <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Um, but I love the title on this one. That, that's what grabbed me. Even though it, it's book two in a series, I thought that's actually a really good title. Hmm. It's called A Discourse in Steel. Um, a tale of Egil and Nyx. By Paul S. Camp, performed by Nick Padell, at Angry Robot on Brilliance and nine discs. So uh, maybe 10, 11 hours, something like that. Yeah. And Bryce is going to, uh, get it. You, you physically mailed it to him? Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Some people still want CDs. I can't understand this.
1: Well, because I had the CD. That's, it's uh-huh. faster okay. to mail it than to
0: do right. anything else. That makes sense.
1: And he had, he had taken the first one.
0: Uh-huh. In that series, which came okay.
1: out this year also, so...
0: Did he uh, put up a review for that? What was the name of that? Oh,
1: uh, I'll have to look it
0: up. All right. I'll look... Let's see if I can look that up while uh, you read the beautiful description of it. Sam <laughs> made you... Okay. I'm <laughs> going to read the hard part. All right.
1: Eggle and Nyx have retired, as they always said they would. No, really, they have. No more sword and hammer play for them... But when two recent acquaintances come calling for help, our hapless heroes find themselves up against the might of the entire Thieves' Guild. And when kidnapping the leader of the most powerful guild in the land seems like the best course of action, you know you're in over your head. And then the last part is just a little quote from Publishers Weekly that says, It's a wonderfully fast-paced fantasy adventure in classic swords and sorcery style. Hmm. I think the Hammer and Blade is the name of the first one.
0: I'm not seeing a review here but uh, mean it wasn't there
1: yeah that probably means he's still working on it
0: we may have talked about the first one in 177 which was the recent arrivals mm-hmm. um, so that was back in September yeah
1: maybe he'll read both of them in order it
0: might might be might be maybe that you can't review the first one without hearing the second one sometimes you just get frustrated and need to Keep you know, finish the story because they broke up the book improperly. Sure. But who knows?
1: Oh, Uh, no, he has a review on Goodreads. Maybe I just haven't posted it.
0: uh Jenny's fault. (laughs) Yeah, I was making excuses for poor Bryce. Hmm.
1: It's a really long review too. Thanks, Bryce. (laughs) He gave it four out of five stars and he said that's a lot of fun. Lots of jokes and adventures and lots of action.
0: Yeah, it sounded pretty good. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the description of this one, I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds yeah. like it's just more of the same, which is good.
0: Sounds like fun, it. yeah. All uh, What's next? Oh, one more. Alicia Barber. That's the title? Mm-hmm. So strange. It's so not fantasy title.
1: Yeah, and um looks like it's the first book of a new series. The Dark Apostle Number 1 by E.C. Ambrose, performer James Clamp on Brilliance Audio. But I think what stuck out to me on this is that Terp Kristen, one of our reviewers, um, mm-hmm. emailed me immediately when I sent out the list and said she wanted this one because it was historical fantasy, historical epic fantasy. Uh-huh. So she liked that combination a lot.
0: Okay, I, I guess I'll take turns and do my reading here. Yes do. England in the 14th century... Oh, no, England in the 14th century a land of poverty and opulence, prayer and plague, witchcraft and necromancy. As a child, Alicia witnessed the burning of a witch house, sorry, a witch outside of London, and saw her transformed into an angel at the moment of her death, though all around him denied this vision. He swore that next time he might have the chance to bind an angel's wounds, he would be ready, and so he became a barber-surgeon, at the lowest ranks of the medical profession, following only the healer's path available to a peasant's son. Elisha is good at his work. I keep thinking of Elisha as a female, but Elisha is a guy. Oh, yeah, that's strange. But skill alone cannot protect him. In the single catastrophic day, Elisha... Elisha? Elisha? Elisha's attempt to deliver his brother's child leaves his fa- family ruined, and Elisha himself... I'm changing the disc- the pronunciation as I'm doing this. That
1: sounds more like, like biblical name, though. So,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Himself accused of murder, then a haughty physician offers him a way out: serve as a battle surgeon in an unjust war between tending to the wounded stol- soldiers and protecting them from the physician's experiments. Mm-hmm. Elisha's work. And works night and day. Even so, he soon discovers that he is an affinity for magic, drawn into the worlds of sorcery by Brigitte. Brigitte? Brigitte. Brigitte. This is a girl, I'm guessing. A beautiful young witch. We hope that's a girl. Yeah. Who reminds him uncannily of the angel he saw burn. In the crucible of combat, utterly at the mercy of his capricious superiors, Elisha must Attempt to unravel conspiracies, both magical and mundane, as well as coming to terms with his own disturbing new abilities. But the only thing more dangerous than the question he's asking are the answers he may reveal. Um, I don't like the way this, this, uh, this mouthful was written, and I'm not a very good reader, but it was hard to read. Hmm. Um, but other than that, the book sounds interesting. Yeah. Huh.
1: We'll have to ask. Kristen what um how they pronounce that name.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, the narrator's gonna have to choose because I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was going back and forth all the way through. Huh.
1: Do you know the author?
0: Uh no. I've heard of that name, but I've not i am not read anything by E. C. Ambrose. I'm not even sure if E. C. Ambrose is male or female. Yeah, me either. Um what I do know, another thing I learned from Twitter last night <laughs> and then I looked it up. Um uh, FRCS, I think it was, um, that the, let's see if I'm remembering that. Yeah, Fellowship of Royal College of Surgeons. So in the UK and in other Commonwealth countries, there's an interesting thing that happens. Um, If you're a a surgeon um, and you become a member of the Fellowship of Royal College of Surgeons, um, you traditionally drop your doctor as your title and you become a Mr. or a Miss or a Mrs. Interesting. It's like, um, you know, doctor is supposed to be a badge of distinction, right? So like, wow, he's a doctor right? <laughs> or she's a doctor. But when you join this group, which is like, a, you, you, you have to be a doctor generally to do it. But traditionally that wasn't the case. Um, you would just keep, Uh, you would revert to your original. And that actually is a greater distinction, Hmm. which is kind of paradoxical and interesting. I think
2: Mm -hmm. I was
0: reading all about that on uh, Wikipedia last night because, um, actually it was, it came from that book. I was, or the short story I was telling you about before the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, called the coming of the ice. Um, this guy, he lives, uh, he becomes immortal. And he lives far into the future and he keeps going to school over and over again to learn new things. And uh, he says, I don't just want to, I already have my doctorate. I don't just want that. I want an FRCS and I want this and I want <laughs> to study everything. And I was like, what's an FRCS? So I looked it up and, and found that little nugget. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next?
1: Uh, let's see. I think we're down into urban fantasy,
0: Mm-mm. just because there
1: were several books here that were first in series, and we'd like to make sure we cover those.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the first one is Cast in Shadow, which is from the Chronicles of the Lantra, and they are by, by Michelle Sagara, performed by Christine F- <laughs> Fam, <laughs> I don't know how you say that last name. Fam? Fam? I'm sorry, Fam? Christine. Um, she's on a lot of these books, and I never know how to say it. I'll look it up someday. Um, this one's on Brilliance, and it was in Audible two years ago. So oh, it's a uh, 12 CD one. So it's a little longer. Um, so I'll just read the description. Mm-hmm, thank you. Seven years ago, Kaylin fled the crime-riddled streets of Nightshade, knowing that something was after her. Children were being murdered, and all had the same markings that mysteriously appeared on her own skin. Since then, she's learned to read, she's learned to fight, and she's become one of the the vaunted hawks who patrol and police the city of Elantra. Alongside the winged Aryans and the immortal Barani, she's made a place for herself, far from the mean streets of her birth. But children are once again dying, and a dark and familiar pattern is emerging." Kaylin is ordered back into Nightshade with a partner she knows she can't trust, a dragon lord for a companion, and a device to contain her powers, powers that no other human has. Her task is simple find the killers, stop the murders, and survive the attentions of those who claim to be her allies.
0: Something is stirring again. Da
1: da da. I tripped over the word vaunted. I don't think yeah, I know
0: that word. <laughs> oh. It means like, um, held up, okay. um, held up to distinction, uh, sort of. It's like, what can, word I are you? I Oh, <laughs> huh. boasted, praised. Okay. You know, <laughs> uh, Game Board of the Gods. That sounds like a good title. Yeah. Like- Age of Acts, number one, uh, by Richelle Mead. Richelle, interesting. Hmm. um. Uh, read by Emily Schaefer? 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 Schaefer. <laughs> hmm. I, I think. Um, Penguin Audio, 13 CDs. And this, th- these two are both going to Don V. D- has Dawn, D-A-W-N-V, written anything for us before? It, she has, not- and she,
1: audio. she's one of our new reviewers and she loves urban fantasy. So. Okay, good. Yeah, she is great. Um, and this author is also known for her Vampire Academy series. So if people out there know that, this is a new series from that same author.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll give this one a, a run. Okay. Oh. See how I do. The first installment of Rochelle Reed's Age of Acts series has all the elements that have made her best-selling Vampire Academy and Bloodline series such mega successes. That's one word, mega successes. Sexy, irresistible characters, romantic, mythological intrigue, and relentless action and suspense. In a futuristic world nearly destroyed by religious extremists, Justin March lives in exile after failing in his job as an investigator of religious groups and supernatural claims. But Justin is given a second chance when May Koskinen comes to bring him back the Republic of United North America, Runa, raised in an aristocratic caste May is now a member of the military's most elite and terrifying tier, a soldier with enhanced reflexes and skills. When Justin and May are assigned to work together to solve a string of ritualistic murders, they soon realize that their discoveries have exposed them to terrible danger. As their investigation races forward, unknown enemies and powers greater than they can imagine are gathering in the shadows, ready to reclaim the world in which humans are merely game pieces on their board. Hmm...
1: Yeah, it's funny because I'm in the middle of reading *Infinite Jest* right now, which is going to take me all summer by um, David Foster Wallace. And in that book, it's in the future, and all of North America has merged, and it's called Onan, the Organization of North American Nations. Uh-huh. So, just maybe, laugh. It seemed like yeah. the same world, maybe.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a sort of a popular thing to do in. uh in fiction, I think you could probably, that'd be a good Wikipedia entry to read is, you know, all the fictional names of, of the United States of North America, mm. you know, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, <laughs> it's sort of a conspiracy theory, you know, they're always merging. Um, but the, the best one I've ever seen about that is, uh, uh H, H2O was a sequel miniseries to a earlier, uh, Canadian miniseries. About uh, the assassination of the prime minister, Canada, and then um, the follow-up series is is uh, about the merging of North, uh, sorry, Canada into the United States, hmm. and that was it was is it was really well done, very thoughtful.
1: Well, and this book coming from Penguin, it's really more of a crime novel, but just happens yeah. to be set in this future world. So I don't know if that changes anything or not.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. All right. Uh, steampunk. We're in Steampunk. Yeah.
1: Um, Romulus Buckle and the City of the Founders. <laughs> this is book one in the Chronicles of the Pneumatic Zeppelin. And I laugh because I just actually like the title. It makes it, yeah, it sound so interesting. Punky, right? Yeah, right?
0: Um, the guy's name is Buckle. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably got a buckle on his hat or something.
1: Yeah. Um, this is by Richard Ellis Preston, Jr., and performed by Luke Daniels. This comes from Brilliance Audio. And, um, it's a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic world of endless snow. And before I read the description, I just want to say that the cover art is really beautiful because, you know, steampunk art usually is. Yeah. But then set in the snowy kind of look and feel, it's really, um, striking, I think, so. Um, that makes me want to just pick it up
0: just from what it looks mm, like. That's a great-looking cover. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit like uh, uh, one I saw for spring Heel Jack, I think. Hmm. Mind you, they all kind of look like that, don't they? There's sort of rusty uh, piping Yeah, <laughs>
1: stuff. but you would think uh, that snow yeah, it, would be, uh, wreak havoc on that kind of equipment. Yeah. So, um, so it's the post-apocalyptic world of Endless Snow, and Captain Romulus Buckle and the stalwart crew of the pneumatic Zeppelin are embarking on a perilous mission to rescue their kidnapped leader. <laughs> Balthazar is Balthazar Crank. It's like that. a lot of fun names. From the impenetrable city of the Founders, steaming over a territory once known as Southern California before it was devastated in the Alien War, Buckle navigates his massive airship through skies infested with enemy war zeppelins and ravenous alien beasties in this swashbuckling and high octane steampunk adventure. Do we usually have aliens in steampunk?
0: I don't think so, but <laughs> it's not, it's, you know, that, that's, that's sort of an additional thing, but you could have, you can have any sort of additional thing that you want, I think. Because steampunk is sort of like the, like you could have zombies, or you could have—I uh, don't know—you could have any, at least one gimme, right? That goes past the regular steampunk. Thing.
1: Right. I think that's what makes this one sound fun. I'm not going to read the I, whole description. That's
0: probably I, I, good enough. I think there's a problem though. It says high octane steampunk. That the the writer of this copy does not understand. <laughs> you don't have high octane. With steam powered things. Or
1: right? they do, and they're laughing. Right.
0: <laughs> they, they could be laughing. Yeah. Alright. Um, yeah, so, uh, it says Rose is gonna review that. Is that Rose Davis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Alright. Uh, we're into cyberpunk, post-humans, and robots section. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're out of steampunk, we're into cyberpunk, Post humans and robots. Um, I think robots fit into cyberpunk. Sort of. They're not necessarily part of it. Post humans? Yeah? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of cyborgs in cyberpunk, right?
1: Well, this is a category. I'm just grouping them all together. Yeah. Because I yeah. think post humans seems to be the next trend that, cause cyberpunk has kind of died out a little bit. Um, I always include it because I'm hoping there will be more of it. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, it hasn't died out. It's just, it's just, it's sort of, uh, crushed under the weight of, uh, fantasy.
1: Yeah, it's morphing into this, you know, singularity post-human stuff, though. It, it seems mm-hmm. related. Like, you don't have cyberpunk by itself as much. Mm-hmm. For it to be ahead of the technology we have, you have to kind of move it into that other realm a little bit. Seems to me.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And this is, uh, called ID or ID. What do you think?
2: I think it's both.
0: Okay. Um, wasn't the first one, is it, the first one called VN?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, uh, IV by, uh, sorry, it's in the Machine Dynasty series, book two, by Madeline Ashby, performed by Luke Daniels, uh, Angry Robot for, uh, Brilliance Audio. Eight discs, and Terp Kristen's taking this, says, Amy, Amy Peterson is a von Neumann, von Neumann machine, a self-replicating human robot. But Amy is an unlike other robot. No, is it? But Amy is a robot unlike any other. Her failsafe has broken, meaning she is no longer sworn to protect humans. She and her equally synthetic partner, Javier, not Javier, but Javier, are holed up in their own robot paradise. But the world that they wanted so much to get a hold of, Amy, what? The world that wanted, oh, okay. But the world that wanted so much to get a hold of Amy, to imprison her, melt her down, or use her as a weapon will know Oh my I can't read. <laughs> will not stay away much longer. Javier must run to Mecca, the robot kingdom, in search of salvation or death. Okay. Um I I was busy trying to concentrate. Did that sound good? <laughs> <laughs> Does it sound like a good book? Sure. Thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, self-replicating self humanoid robots must have rights too, right?
0: So. I think so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think so. Um, and you, you put, uh, space magic in short stories, but we've already covered it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've got another short stories collection here. Um, this is an annual collection now, it looks like. The year's top ten tales of science fiction, volume five. Mm-hmm. Edited by Alan Castor, readings by Tom Deere, Nancy, Linari, and Dara Rosenberg, or Impinavox, and that was just published, uh, oh, it's not even out yet.
1: Yeah, I have yeah. a copy, but it's
0: out oh, to speak. Cool. Uh, and I think I can do the table of contents here. Um, contents include Invisible Men by Christopher Barzak, Close Encounters by Andy Duncan, Bricks, Sticks and oh, Brick Sticks Straw by Gwyneth Jones. Hmm, that sounds like it might be like a fairy tale. Arbite's Craft by Nick Mamatas. Arbite meaning work, craft meaning craft. Uh, the n- Man by Paul McCauley. That sounds good. Naku West by Linda Nagata. Taiki and the Ants by Hanu Rajanami. Rajanyami. Um, Luke just did a review of the novel by that guy. Yeah,
1: I need to listen to that because I've actually read that book and loved it. And I have the second one on hand, so.
0: I, oh, interesting. This is
1: the story I'm looking the most forward to from this collection.
0: Alright. Catabasis. And I, I can't remember what that means, but I've heard of it. Uh, you, you can look that up if you'd like. Okay. Catabasis by Robert Reed. Robert Reed's a really good writer. The Contrary Gardener by Christopher Rowe, and Scout by Bunch Barhawk. Actually, I've heard of most of these people. Um, maybe in previous collections, I've read some of their stories. What's it say about Catabasis?
1: Catabasis is a descent of some type, such as moving downhill, or the sinking of the winds, or sun, or a military oh. retreat,
0: or a trip to the underworld. Oh, yeah, that's where I heard yeah. it. Yeah, uh, trip to the underworld. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm, interesting. Kind of assets by Robert Reed. He's a uh, he. He doesn't write a lot of super long stuff, and he doesn't write a lot of really short stuff. He writes sort of um middle length stuff, like uh, novellas, hmm. novelettes. Is what I know him for, anyways. i ah, will let you do Carny Punk. I'm so difficult oh. <laughs> <just about> reading.
1: <laughs> I scrolled past that one. Um, Carny Punk is uh, another short story collection put out by Simon & Schuster. It will come out July 23rd, so it's not quite there, um, but it's 14 hours of stories, and they are by Rachel Kane, Rob Thurman, Kevin Hearn, Seanan McGuire, Jennifer Estep, Allison Pang, Kelly Gay, Delilah S. Dawson, Kelly Medding, and narrated by Candace Baxton and Kirby Haybourne. I um, mm-hmm. knew Kirby pretty well. It seems like he reads a lot of stuff we read. He does. Um, So there's... um. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Some of the people that are on here, Rachel Kane's vampires aren't child's play as a naive teen discovers when her heart leads her far, far astray in the cold girl with parlor tricks. Jennifer Estep pits Jin Blanco, the elemental assassin, against the wheel of death and some dangerously creepy clowns. <laughs> Seanan McGuire narrates a poignant, ethereal tale of a mysterious carnival that returns to a dangerous town after 20 years in Daughter of the Midway, the Mermaid, and the Open, Lonely Sea. Kevin Hearn's Iron Druid and his wise-cracking Irish Wolfhound discover in The Demon Barker of Wheat Street that the impossibly wholesome-sounding Kansas Wheat Festival is actually not a healthy place to hang out. That's um, a play on Sweeney Todd, you know, Demon Barber Mm -hmm. Barber of Fleet Street? (laughs) I am. Um, And with an eerie, unpredictable twist, Rob Thurman reveals the fate of a psychopath stalking two young carnies in Painted Love. So it looks like maybe about half of them are standalone stories, and half of them are related to series that people would know the characters of. So, mm-hmm.
0: um, it's car- carnival themed, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of um, fun and sort of it's it's sort of contemporary too. You know that uh, book that everybody's reading by Stephen King, Joyland, is set at a carnival. That's true. Um, it's sort of come back into. Mind you, I guess it's, it's always been around in fiction. Uh, wasn't there like a book like three or four years ago that was a nano rhino book that was set um, at the circus like or something? you're thinking
1: of like water for elephants and I think it's that's actually it. like eight or nine years old, but. Oh, wow. Well, and then, they, um, that other circus book that's narrated by Jim Dale. I can remember the narrator. Yes, Night Circus. That one All was right. just a few years ago and that one was really good too. Right. So I think circuses are always around a little bit.
0: They've got creepy clowns, so hmm. that that will that, that, keep them in business, anyways. Uh, right, we're we're skipping thriller and action. There's only one book there, but it's uh, book nine, and we're heading into nonfiction, history, memoir, etc.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, now this is um, since I highlighted it, I will uh, attempt it. Here we go. The boys in the boat: nine Americans and their epic quest. For gold in the, at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. So this is, I would say, history. Uh, Daniel James Brown is the author, read by Edward Herman. (laughs) The the grandpa of the Gilmore Girls. He has has had other roles other than that. Um, Most notably, we talked about him with regard to the book, audiobook I'm reading now. at the Mountains of Madness, he does the Blackstone version of that.
1: Yeah, I felt like we'd talked about him pretty recently. He must be doing a lot of this work these days.
0: <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen him as an audiobook narrator recently, but he used to be a, uh, maybe he, he's just come back onto my radar, but he used to narrate back in the abridged days when there was a lot more abridged books. He mm-hmm. used narrate, uh, then. Maybe he had a lot of work on the Gilmore girls and now is saying, well, I need some other work. (laughs) People only know me as the grandpa. (laughs) In any case, um, I'll try and read part of the description here. Daniel James Brown's robust book tells the story, robust, does that mean it's big? Uh, Tells the story of the University of Washington's 1936 eight ore crew and their epic quest for an Olympic gold medal a team that transformed the sport and grabbed the attention of millions of Americans, the sons of loggers, shipyard workers, and farmers. The boys defeated elite rivals from Eastern and British universities. And finally, the German crew rowing for Adolf Hitler in the Olympic games in Berlin, 1936. Um, and it's continues on the description, but, um, yeah, I'm, I, I think that Olympics was actually the most interesting historical Olympics. Hmm. I know a lot about it, and, and I even watched a movie. Uh, uh, I think it was Charlie Chan at the Olympics. <laughs> it's like set at the 1936 Olympics, and it's like a mystery. Hmm. But it's really weird because it was it was like it was written, uh, not was filmed before World War II. So Hitler is not exactly super evil. But there's a little bit of bad stuff, but actually the police are good, and and Charlie Chan is like. He's playing, he's being played by a uh, an Aryan. <laughs> it's like, what? Hmm. What's going on? Well, but, that
1: would have been the period in Germany where like nationalism was really picking up, right? Because of the Hitler yeah, youth yeah. and everything. So, oh, but yeah. that plays right into the Olympics because everyone's so patriotic exactly. during the Olympics.
0: Exactly. I think it, it, it just, it's, so, it's such an interesting situation that, uh, it's right on the cusp of World War II and yeah. it has all that, uh, stuff. So, but you know, like the fact that we can name a bunch of athletes from, well, at least I can <laughs> name a bunch of athletes from, from that Olympics, you know, is kind of weird because I can't name them from uh, maybe Mary Lou Retton or something. Yeah, Gino, that's 1984.
1: Yeah. I can, I can right, name okay. some Olympians from 1984 because that's the year that the USSR pulled out. And so Americans right. won a lot more.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Uh, where was that held? Is that Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. How come I know that? That's sad.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh well, I know it was held in '36.
1: <laughs> All right. Where was it held we're, in '36? Oh, Berlin. <laughs>
0: Berlin. Oh, it's right in the title there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're done our list of uh, recent arrivals.
1: Yes. Although you had sent a link. Of a Wayne june title is that a recent
0: oh yeah um no it's not a recent arrival but uh it's recently released okay. uh, i didn't even know i sent, had sent you that but um the doctor jekyll and mr hyde is that what we're talking about mm-hmm. uh huh okay so that uh has just been released on a digital copy on his vibe deck site now i'm not sure it's true of this one but the House in the Borderlands and The Willows, those were completely available for streaming. Um, so you can listen to the whole thing if you're sitting on the website. Or you can just buy it and get it for like uh, 10 bucks. And uh, I've reviewed this. I got it years ago uh, when he released it originally. Oh, okay. And it's excellent. And we actually did a podcast a discussion with him about this book hmm. um, on a previous podcast. Uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a... Um, a classic that you, even if you haven't read, you you probably think you know a lot about. And it's like a lot different than I imagined it because I, I mean, I thought I knew what the story was, but, and you sort of do, but uh, the author, um, Robert Louis Stevenson, is a really interesting writer. He's a really interesting person. Um, and this book is really dense. It, I can't remember... How long it is. Oh, it's like two, 2.6 hours. So it's not very long at all, but well worth reading. And that's a really good book. And as are the other two audiobooks he's got there, plus which I did start for. He's one
1: of your favorite narrators, right?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That's absolutely why I wanted to hear him do this because he, you know, he does, um, Poe. He does, um, this, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. and He's done, uh, Algernon Blackwood and William Hope Hodgson. And he's really, really good. Hmm. Do you see underneath the, the two, uh, audiobooks in the discography? I did the art for those. You did? Pretty nice, right? It is nice. I didn't, I would do the original illustrations underneath, but I cleaned them up and right. colored them and made them work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm proud to be associated with that Wayne June because I think he's, he's awesome. Anyways.
1: So, did you see anything in any of the digital new releases, upcoming releases, Audible Downpour, anything like that?
0: Well, I did, I did mention, uh, that, uh, at the Mountains of Madness, um, Edward Herman's narrating that, but I'm actually not listening to his version, even though I was gonna get it, I realized I actually owned, uh, a Wayne June version. <laughs> oh. So, I'm listening to that, and I'm about halfway through, and it's it's really good. It's 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 interesting because novel length Lovecraft is not something I've done before, hmm. and the way he does audiobooks, it's or sorry, stories. The way Lovecraft does stories, they are very um about mood, right? It, it's not designed to scare you; it's designed to chill you, sort of. Right, and Doing that at, at length you'd think that there might be an issue, right? It's like, well, how, how long can I stay cooled? Right? Uh, but he what he seems to be doing is he's just he's slowing it down. So you're going for a deeper cold <laughs> but you are going there slower. You move more detail.
1: Right.
0: Sweat at it.
1: Speaking of Lovecraft.
0: <laughs> oh, we talking Neonomicon? Do you want to
1: talk about Neonomicon? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: so a little
0: backstory here.
1: Neonomicon is a graphic novel by Alan Moore, author of, Watchmen, mine
0: out of The Watchmen,
1: etc. And what?
0: I just took mine out of the bag.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, okay. That was what that sound was. Yep. <laughs> well, okay, so. I, I own and enjoyed The Watchmen and everything. Neonomicon wasn't really on my radar until my public library censored it.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And it actually it made international news. Um, there's a really lengthy letter about it on the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund website. We can link to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, censorship just makes me angry. And I don't think that a library should be deciding what people get to read. I think people need to decide. And so my academic library, when this happened, because we're in the same town, we bought one so that people in town at least could have access to it. So that happened, I guess, last summer. And I just now got around to reading it. It's been checked out a lot. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've read some Lovecraft. And I think part of the magic of Lovecraft is that it's, it's horror but it's hinted at, right? It's kind of what yes. you were just saying, like it doesn't spell it out for you.
0: No, it doesn't spell it out for you at all. And this is exactly spelling it out for it you. It is exactly. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's not chilling, it's not terror. It's no. not sort of feeling of terror. It's this is a horrifying book. It's
1: the worst possible interpretations of any of those horrors and then it's drawn for you literally.
0: But I think I I think it's there, right? Uh, like did you hear the Mike Bennett narration of um, the Lovecraft that we had very recently called the, um, Oh my God, I can't remember the name of the story. It was just uh shadow over Innsmouth.
1: No, not yet, but I wanted to listen.
0: Okay. So that is largely the inspiration for, for this, you know, what, where he's drawing the Neonomicon background from is largely from that. Hmm. Not, Completely, but largely from there. And that, uh, is implied. I mean, no, it's not implied. It's necessarily true that some of the things that are happening in this horrible book, (laughs) which is a wonderful book, but a horrible book, are, they're, they're in there. It's just not shown. It's, it's necessary, but not shown. And so Alan Moore is, uh, you know, he, he likes tackling controversial stuff. I, I, I want to get that book he did called From Hell. Um, and that one, I think, got turned into a movie with Johnny Depp, which I think I saw, but I don't remember very much. Right. But, um, that, that also, like, that's from, that, that title is from one of the letters sent to the police, I think, uh, regarding Jack the Ripper. Um, like it was supposed to be where it was posted from, from hell. <laughs> um The thing is, you know, he he does a hell of a lot of research and he thinks really hard about stuff. That's why, um, you, you, you know, you, you mentioned it before, the um, Watchmen. I think that's why Watchmen is so good, is it's just, it's so well thought through. It's all about thinking about what would superheroes really be like If we took them seriously, instead of, you know, painting them with the, the comic code, no blood. Right. What, what would that do to our world? And Watchmen is brilliant because of that.
1: Right. I mean, he doesn't shy away from it, which I think is, um, laudable. Um, but I'm the kind of girl, like, I've been watching the, the series, The Fall miniseries with Jillian Anderson. It's about a serial killer, and honestly, I'm just one of those people that I can listen to it, I could read it, Mm -hmm. but something about seeing something visually, it's more disturbing.
0: (laughs) It's really disturbing. Yeah, Yeah,
1: so, yeah, I'm still glad I read it, because just on principle, I do not believe in censorship, (laughs) but I also still don't watch Dexter, you know?
0: Oh, Dexter's not very bad. Well, I just can't. (laughs) I (laughs) I think if you uh, you can handle (laughs) this book, you can handle anything. I haven't seen seen it. I haven't seen a a story as disturbing as this. Um, It's incredibly disturbing. Um, But I think when I first talked about it back on the podcast years ago or a year ago, whatever it was, I I linked to a really interesting YouTube video that somebody had did looking at the paneling, how the paneling helped tell the story in a subconscious way, like like uh, what's happening in the framing mm-hmm. of the page? And it's so interesting, like, to see, like, if that is, if half of what that person was arguing is, I mean, it's, it, it was pretty compelling. And right. it's, it's like, wow, that is, this is such a good book. Well, and it's even good if on you so just, many levels.
1: If you just flip through what you have in your hands, I mean, mm-hmm. the first half of it, the story that starts with a detective.
0: The courtyard, yeah.
1: Everything is long and vertical.
0: Mm-hmm. And it has
1: this way of like, I think in my review, I described it as like um, that feeling of don't look under the bed. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Somehow that long vertical where all you see is one person at a time, it has that kind of feeling to it and it builds up the, the drama. You don't really know where it's going to go and things get worse and worse and worse. And then um, when the story shifts to the two agents. I think they're agents it mm-hmm. might be cops
0: yeah Mulder and Scully yeah. style yeah right? <laughs> it's kind of who
1: they reminded me of all of a sudden the panes go um horizontal instead of vertical
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the story changes and it's set with this big group of people instead and it's and then it's the underground book sh- underground of the bookshelf bookshop
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so there's kind of like those you, it's like you feel it somehow yeah you feel how the story would feel just because of how the panes are laid out it's crazy but
0: it's true it's this is this is a really disturbing and powerful book, oh my God, I'm looking at some of these pages yeah. like I remember that that was there horrible. are some I would
1: prefer I'd never seen, and it's interesting to read reviews of it because there are some people that are clearly his fans that are f- just livid mm. by the contents of the book and um, really mm mm-hmm, it was really um there's very few high range, high ratings.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. I haven't read the reviews really. Um that's interesting. I, I wanna read them now.
1: Yeah. Like um, Anger. Now-
0: <laughs> wow, that's weird.
1: Yeah.
0: Um I I found out recently that uh he's working on a new series, uh set in Providence, uh with HP Lovecraft as the main character. Phew. New comic book series, so that, that might be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I'm not sure I'll read it, but I bet it'll be interesting.
0: <laughs> well, I hope, I hope your book, uh, your library bans it just so we can talk about it. <laughs> Cause then you will read it. Yeah. Um, Jason Burroughs, uh, does the art for Neonomicon and, uh, I've been following his, his work in other comics, uh, and he's a really good artist, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, it's beautiful to look, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of beautiful to look at, uh, really good art. Yeah. And nice color and all that stuff.
1: Well, and there are some choices that he makes that I think are really interesting. Like when the woman, (laughs) her contacts are out, right? So she can't see.
0: And so some of the,
1: yeah, some of the pictures are from her perspective. And I thought that was interesting. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Pretty effective. Because it makes you, it makes you see and feel how she feels, right? Yeah. Oof.
0: But, uh, you know, there are so many disturbing images That aren't even like of the sexual kind in here. Like for example, the the wall, you know, the wall with the gate and the guy and painted on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what am I seeing? Oh my god! Am I what? I flip back and forth, like, oh my god! Wow, that's (laughs) amazing, (laughs) amazing book. So (laughs) that's that. That's that. (laughs) That's that. I got a couple other paper books. Oh yeah, tall. Uh, I, I got one, um, that I probably should own years ago. Um, but I don't know. I never s- picked it up before. Uh, it's called The Call of Cthulhu and Weird Stories and Other Weird Stories, uh, by H.P. Lovecraft, obviously, but, uh, with notes and edit, uh, annotations, um, by S.T. Joshi, who's, uh, the, the Lovecraft scholar. Um, he wrote a giant two-volume uh, uh, biography of Lovecraft, huge book, or huge books, and um, he's got, like, uh, footnotes everywhere, so you can see what, like, you know, what, he's cross-referenced things to all the letters, we have a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's letters, most of them, I guess, and he wrote Tons and tons of letters. So we know a lot about what he was thinking and how they, these, the stories interconnect with each other and, and such. And so it, it's going to be a good resource as I read more of the stories that are in here.
1: It looks like, um, Scott and Julie discussed this for their 44th.
0: The, the Call of Cthulhu, the story or this book?
1: Um, well, she cites this particular book, but I haven't oh. listened back that far, I don't think.
0: I think they did a Lovecraft, but I'm, I can't remember which, I think they did one called, um, uh, hmm. It was, yeah, it was, maybe it was, I'm gonna say the Colorado Space, but I don't think that's it. Um, I think it was, I think I know the one, I just can't remember the title of it. In any case. I'm finding um,
1: it. Okay. Um, no, like it just in the description it just says it's about Lovecraft itself, so I don't know.
0: Hmm. Hm. <laughs> yeah. Um it's I not, listen. Yeah, it's not uh just a lovecraft. It's about a specific story.
1: Okay.
0: Um it's set on a farm, uh and there's a Shoggoth, I think, <laughs> a bunch of other stuff. Well
1: I'm surprised um, you didn't have this already. This is uh, for your personal
0: collection. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean I, I I've read a lot of HP Lovecraft, but I don't have, I didn't have these SG Joshi books. I, I'm actually, I'm keep trying to make an excuse to go to the bookstore and get the other one I saw there. Hmm. Um, of the two penguin books that were, were there. I got the bigger one with, uh, they've got rag and paper. I'm not sure I like that. You know, what do they call that? Where the page ends where, you know, you put your thumb. They're not all the same.
1: Oh. Oh, so, I'm not gonna remember.
0: And, anyways, um, I bought that one because it they had this the book with two different covers and two different prices. But I bought the bigger one because I thought that'd be easier. But I don't like the uh endings. The other one I got, the other big book I got, um, I got at the used bookstore. Um, but it's it's really cool because it's illustrated and it has a bunch of other stuff. It's called Classic Tales of Vampires and Shapeshifters, and it's uh from miles kelly publisher printed in china but uh, it's got a uk price tag on it so um who knows who knows what the story is on where you can find this available but um it's fully illustrated and uh it's got stories in it that are mixed with stories i know and the ones that are in there that i know are they're good stories so I was, like, surprised to see stories by Saki that I'd not read. And I thought, oh, well, I'll read, read that. And hmm. um bunch of, you know, just tons of public domain stories that have been beautified by adding art and um, being packaged with nice paper and all that stuff. So it's going to be a good resource for finding new stuff to read.
1: Just like a vampire fan book.
0: Well, it's not. It, it <laughs> says classic ta- tales of vampires and shapeshifters. But actually... As far as I can see, vampires are not the main focus. I mean, it, it says that, and there are some vampire stories in here, but uh, it's got The Horla by Guy de Maupassant, and that's more of an alien than it is a vampire, I think. More of a succubus or right. something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's pretty loose. Uh, there's another one in here called The Werewolf, so that's, that's not a, you no, know, that's a shapeshifter.
1: Do you own the, um, weird anthology by the Vandermeers?
0: No, I don't. Oh, but I, that's
1: one you should look, have, I think.
0: Well, I I keep looking at it, and I I, I want to own it, <laughs> but it's all a matter of like that's so expensive. I know. And, and you know, in Canada, we can't get things cheap. Like you can you can shop around a lot cheaper than we can. Oh, because... I paid
1: full price for it.
0: Oh really? Yeah, because
1: I was at a signing. Oh okay. And now I have an illustration in it. <laughs>
0: Oh, nice. Yeah,
1: it's cute. Honestly, I haven't read a thing of it. I I have great intentions, too, but I, I know all the work that they did to track down, mm-hmm. like, some of the stories they had to get new translations of because that was going to be easier to manage legally than to try mm-hmm. to pay the royalties on the original. I mean, it's just the amount of work and putting an anthology together yeah. is
0: just incredible. And well, i um- if you die, put me in your will, and I'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave pass. that
1: to you. All right. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, the other uh, thing that I got that I'm pretty impressed with, I just read it last night. Um, it's called Ghosted. It's a new comic from Image uh, with uh, Joshua Williamson as the writer, Goran Sadzaka, Zad- Sadzaka hmm. as the artist. And it's really, um, really good art. I, I was surprised how good the art is because this is not a guy I'd heard of. And it's it's a there's a guy in prison. He's a criminal uh, thief, um, not likely to get out soon, anytime. Um, and somebody breaks him out of prison and takes take takes him to the mansion of a rich, old, crazy guy. And the rich old crazy guy wants the thief to steal a ghost for his collection. And the art is really, really good. Really, really good. And the story's well paced so far. First issue, you know. He assembles his team and they crack open the house. And the psychic says, no ghosts around here. But (laughs) there's tons of
1: ghosts.
0: (laughs) So it looks really good. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting more impressed with these Image Comics. They, they used to be not so good, but now they're getting better.
1: Okay. must be easier to publish those these days with all
0: the I think so.
1: technology involved, probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm surprised. I just saw it at the comic book store, and I thought, oh, I'll look at this. Yeah, I'm definitely going to buy that. <laughs> so those are, those are all the paper books I, I've got stacked up here. But um, we were going to talk about... Uh, your recent listens as well. What have you been listening to? Yeah,
1: well, I, um, drove down to see a friend in Georgia who's about six hours away, so that gave me a good opportunity to read, or listen. And so, I had downloaded a few on the Audible's two-for-one credit sale that they had. And, you know, most of the time when they have that kind of sale, it's like first of series, but this time they had done a lot of second and third of series, which was awesome. Um, so I had gotten Book number two of the Robert J. Sawyer WWW series. It's a YA series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called WWW Watch. The first one was WWW Wake. And I had read that one when it was nominated for, I can't remember if it was a Hugo or a Nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a follow up. And it, so the internet, this, this girl who was blind had this kind of surgery that made her aware of the internet.
0: Mm, yeah, accidentally. And, and then I, like I
1: re- brought it to life kind of. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. second book is kind of about her and she's in Canada. So the, the government stuff's a little bit different. Um, you know, they're, they're finding out that this is happening and it's like internet security breaches left and right. So they can't stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's three different narrators or four different narrators. Um, it's one of those audible frontiers titles. And I think mm-hmm. it was like 12 hour one, but of course I listened to everything at two times speed, so it didn't take that long for me. Um, but I enjoyed that one and I still want to read the third one. Um, let's see.
0: Like, wasn't there a volume level?
1: Yeah, you know, there was one of the little minor stories is some, um, CIA, NSA types, um, that are tracking her. And every time that part came on, I'd have to turn my volume up. And then turn it back down again when the next person came. It's like they never equaled it out or anything. Yeah, they
0: didn't equalize it. It Which is
1: too bad because that was really kind of a frustration and it would take me out of the story each time. And I'm, I think I missed some of those parts because, you know, sometimes you're like, really? I mean, how long is it really going to be? Do I really want to turn it up? Um, so. You know
0: what? That, if you, if you do listen to that latest, uh, Luke podcast, um, about the Hanu Rajim Nem Yummy book, that's his complaint.
2: Well, there's
0: I- something going wrong in they're they're putting out these audiobooks too quickly and not checking them for those audible. Uh, <laughs> some of the some of the dialogue is not audible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you can't
0: hear it. That's really too bad. It's optimized. not so difficult. It's very important. It is
2: important,
0: right? You start on a book, you expect it to be, uh, you know, good. Otherwise, you have this problem. You can't hear stuff. I don't know if you remember, but. Not that long ago, I was tweeting a lot about how a lot of podcasts had this problem, and I got some backlash from it.
1: Yeah, but there's a difference.
0: You don't don't pay
1: for a podcast, and when you pay for an audiobook, you really expect that to mean that you've paid for something specific, and that is generally that you've paid for a production of something.
0: I think, you know, you've got to expect, that you whatever you you find is going to be audible that you can hear it. Ha <laughs> No, no, literally. I mean that's what it's called audible. It, sh- it shouldn't be. It should be audible. But uh yeah, there sh- there sh- it shouldn't be that hard to fix. No, it shouldn't. And if if I knew it was going to be bad, right? Like if I found a, uh, an audio book that it was going to be have that problem, I could process it myself, which I did with some podcasts.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, if I had known, I could have run it through Audacity, found those parts. You can't do
0: that. You can't do that because uh, it's audible, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, you're screwed. Yeah. You can wait for the CDs, right? Wait until the CD release, if there's a CD release, and then you could run it through that way, but...
1: Obviously, no one's going to make that much of an effort.
0: It's too much work. Do the job and it's, it's totally true. Like that's why I think it's really important to look for whenever a podcast goes out, I listen the whole thing all the way through. Not because I don't think it's going to, you know, there's going to be an error or anything. It's because if I don't do that, the cost on my end is, uh, I have to go fix it later, but the cost on other people's ends is he has to go get a version later and she and all the hundreds or thousands of people who listen to the show, that cost is multiplied, right? One screw up on our end is a, a thousand screws, of up, screw ups on their end. Right. And, you know, that's just, you know, common courtesy. You don't, you know, <laughs> you don't magnify a problem if you don't have to. And if you, it takes an extra second to go through or an extra hour to go through, you do it. Yeah. But I think, you know, Scott was commenting, I think it was recently on the, our group chat, about how many new audiobooks there are on the Audible Frontiers. You know, it's like 20,000 or 12,000 or something. Crazy, right? Um That's in, an insane number. But with increasing that number so quickly, they, they're going to run into problems like this, but you'd think somebody would have caught it.
1: Yeah. And this was from 2010 too. So it's been around for a while. They could have fixed it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also the other thing I'd say about that book is I was in the right mood for it, but you really have to be in the right mood for Robert J. Sawyer, Mm -hmm. you know, because he does a lot of info dumping. That's really not necessary. (laughs) Like there's this one really memorable scene where you learn about like internet security law while the two teens in the novel are making out like, because oh. <laughs> this is what they're talking about. And you're like, really? I mean, they couldn't have had this conversation over dinner. May I undo
0: your bra? <laughs> yes, you may. But
1: That's you know, the you Internet.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a firewall
1: between them. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it was just, uh, I mean, it gets to a point where it's really unbelievable. So, yeah. but it, it was fine. And I needed something light when I was driving. So, right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, another one I've listened to lately is of course The Ocean at the End is a Lane by Neil Gaiman oh, okay.
0: you, you started that because I, I haven't got that yet but it's definitely something I want to get into
1: yeah and it's interesting <laughs> um, I still think my favorite Neil Gaiman stuff is his earlier like Sandman stuff and American Gods but um, he's a brilliant reader of his own work Oh yeah. so I think if you're going to read that book at all getting it in audio is really essential because I think that makes it better not that it's bad to start with, but it it is definitely like you keep hearing it's an adult book. It's an adult book. And I think what he means by that is it it's really kind of a reflection on um, mourning and nostalgia and self-identity that, where you get to like in your midlife.
2: Mm.
1: So and the story kind of there is a story. Yes, that involves fantasy. Yes, but it's kind of like among others where it's not the story. That's the point. Mm. So I think you kind of have to be prepared for that and not expecting American Gods or something like that. Mm. But it's still very good. And his wife actually wrote a blog post about his process that made me appreciate it more. <laughs> but I think he's a really good reader, so I always try I, to listen.
0: I, I barely knew that he had a wife because, uh, you know, I know he has kids, but uh, I don't know who to know What's that? She's new. It's, oh, she's an. It's wife? not
1: the first one, no. <laughs> oh.
0: Um, I,
1: she's a pretty uh, well-known um, performer, actually. Okay. So if you ever say, um, like, if you look up puppet wedding, not puppet statue wedding, huh. they had this fake statue wedding because she used to perform as a living statue. Okay. <laughs> and now she's a like a singer. She's in a band.
0: She used to perform as a living statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah performance by standing still <laughs> I guess it's right it is true it is kind of a performance It's mm-hmm. strange I'm um, looking at the the new on audible science fiction and fantasy list and there's a ton of new stuff but um, let's see if I can scroll down and see something of massive interest uh, Viking boy fire Vi- fire and vengeance three hours, 23 minutes. You know, there's a lot of new, shorter stuff coming in. Um friend of mine named Mike Vandetti, who, uh who is doing lots of audiobooks these days, uh, was telling me, you know, he prefers putting up shorter stuff because he can get it done faster. <laughs> um, you know, novels weigh him down. But if he does short stuff, he, he's like... Well, Jesse, I'm still working on that zombie novel. You got it right. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you can try this." And he says, "How long is it?" Said, oh, here we go. So uh, that's uh, that's good. There is a lot of shorter stuff, like in, this, in these new releases, like three hours, four hours, seven hours, rather than the twenty-three hour epic. Uh, you know, yeah. So another four hour, one hour, two hour. I'm seeing like a lot of new shorter stuff. And I, I don't know if that's because, um, they've run out of novels to, to do or because, uh, they're allowing more people to get access to it. Um,
1: I would guess it's more of a marketing philosophy. Like some people want to buy the credits and they're not going to want to spend their credits on the short stuff, but then other people want to pay instead of buy the credits and they're more likely to pay for things that are cheaper. Um, I don't know. I like how you can limit by length, though. So if you're mm-hmm. in the mood for something long, you can just go
0: find that. I did a uh, spot. This, this sounds really interesting. It's called Science Fiction, A Very Short Introduction uh, by David Seed, narrated by Bri- Brian Hall Supple, who I've heard and is a very good narrator. And uh, let me read the description here. Frankenstein, The Time Machine, Star Trek, Dune, 1984, Blade Runner. Science fiction has been explained as a combination of romance, science, and prophecy, as a genre based on imagined alternatives to the reader's environment, and as a form of fantastic fiction and historical literature. It has also been argued that science fiction narratives are the most engaged, socially relevant, and responsive to the modern technological environment. In this very short introduction, David Seed doesn't offer a history of science fiction, but instead attempts to tie examples of science fiction to different historical moments in order to demonstrate how science fiction has evolved over time, especially the emergence of science fiction as a pop. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. Especially the emergence of science fiction as a popular genre in the 20th century. Seed looks not only at literature, but also drama, poetry, as well as film. Examining recurrent themes in science fiction, He he, sensing the same word over and over again, science fiction, not fantasy. He looks at voyages into space, the concept of alien and alternative social identities, the role of technology in science fiction, and its relation to time in the past, present, and future. And so it's like a nonfiction book, but done... Uh, as a, uh, audiobook in the science fiction section. I, I think that's really good. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's getting pretty good reviews. There's, uh, four stars, seven reviews, and, um, lit cryptpunk, somebody says. Hmm. A very short megatext. <laughs> so, interesting. I, I, I might be interested in something like that.
1: Yeah, it sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I, like, uh, that's how we, we got Rabkin, you know. We, we heard his lectures on, on, uh, oh, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting. Audible now has, um, all the, uh, teaching company stuff. It's not called teaching company anymore. I always forget what the new name is. Modern Scholar? Is that right? No, that's a different one. Teaching company changed its name a few years ago for some reason. Um, but, all of their stuff was available on their own website, and yeah, it's called The Great Courses now. I keep forgetting that. The Great Courses is a basically professional um, lecturer uh, audiobook company. What they do is they hire professors to give lectures, and then they record them using video and audio. And then sell those lectures to interested parties, which is me and other people. And they have courses on everything. Science, um, history, fine arts, religion, philosophy, literature, business, professional, high school, you know, every topic you can imagine that's sort of academic. They have something on. And, uh, one of the ones that we found years ago, Scott found actually was, um, the teaching company, uh, Sorry, the teaching company found um, science fiction, the literature of the technological imagination, which was by Eric Rabkin, And it was really, really good. Scott sent it to me and I listened to it. and It was really, really good. I agreed with him and then we, we got him on the podcast.
1: And the rest is history.
0: <laughs> it is. And uh, these things are insanely expensive. I can't remember how Scott managed to get one. Um, maybe he was a lot richer than me, but looking at them here. Oh, God. But in Audible,
1: they're just a credit.
0: Exactly. They're one credit on Audible, right? So the fact that they showed up there, this is going to be huge for people who love teaching company.
1: Well, it's probably because now that MOOCs are so popular, you know, it's kind of they're being subsumed by that kind of option, probably.
0: Uh, It might be that they got a really sweet deal from Audible because... The, the the prices here are insane but the market for having the prices that high has got to be um you know I want these audiobooks but I can't get them because they're too expensive right um but on Audible I could afford them so if you diversify your market a little bit you, you know you can get uh, you can sell a lot more titles you might be able to make a lot more money
1: well and a, I wonder if the Eric Graptkin uh, one that's in here is that same one? It has a different title. It's called...
0: Yeah, They ch- he d- gave them a new one. They oh, retired okay. his old one.
1: <laughs> Masterpieces of the Imaginative Mind, Literature's Most Fantastic Works.
0: Right, which is more focused on uh, fantasy as well than just science fiction.
1: Yeah, the so. authors are about half and half. So that's mm-hmm. And some of them are and, really traditional.
0: And lots of fairy tales.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Eric loves his fairy tales. Um, so there's a lot a lot of tying in there.
1: Well, um, I guess I never realized this kind of content was in there, so I'll have to look through and see if there's another subject I want to learn about. it's
0: really good stuff. And you know the top like they they have if you go into the English section um, and you look at literature and English language, for example, um, how to reach and understand Shakespeare, um, that's a whole course, right? So it's a whole bunch of lectures. Uh, let's see. 24 lectures and uh, it's 30 minutes per lecture so it's 12 hours right so it's it's not quite a university course but it's pretty close and it's by people from universities so they are professional lecturers and um, because there's ratings and such you can see um, whether something sounds like it's going to be good you can preview it and uh, it's just so it's, it goes so deep I love that rather than sort of you know a uh, a regular bookshelf style, um, you know, bookstore style book on some topic. It's like a survey of all of it. And there's no homework. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You can do it and you don't have to do any homework.
1: I think the only thing I would miss is having someone to talk to you after and ask questions to you, but that's how I learned. So that's how, why we have a podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm going to come <laughs> bringing my questions about 18th century literature. You better be ready.
0: Well, if we if we do the audiobook I'm happy to to the discussion.
1: I forgot to mention another book speaking of Eric that I listened to this week um because he had recommended to me at some I think during some podcast Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Because it's okay. a, it's a foodie kind of book and he's kind of a foodie person. Yes. And it just came out, um, from Random House, narrated by Meryl Streep because of course Meryl Streep was in the movie 20 years ago or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so I listened to it in like a day. It was really kind of a quick one, but it was a great, she's a great audiobook reader. I'm sure you can imagine. She's a great actress. Oh, yeah. And I hope yeah. she does. I know she had personal connections with this one. You know, she played the role. She was friends with the author, but, I just hope she does more because she was fantastic. So thanks, Eric.
0: (laughs) This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at
2: www.sffaudio.com.